to this Teen Tips podcast. Today uh, we are going to be talking about drugs and um, I'm deeply honoured to have Fiona Spargo Mabs joining me. Uh, Fiona is a drugs and alcohol educator but she only retrained to do that following the very tragic death of her son Daniel in January 2014 Um, and I think amazing that she's turned it into something where she can go and educate pupils, parents, staff. She's very kindly agreed to tell her story and to give us all information that we can use hopefully to keep our children safe. Um, Together we've created a list of the questions that parents most often ask but if something comes up and you've got a question that's not covered, please, please feel free to get in touch with us. So, hello and welcome, Fiona. Hi, Alicia. Thank Hi. you for inviting me to speak to you. Oh, it's lovely to have you. So, um, if, if you're okay to tell us a little bit about your story, yes, of I course. think that would be a great way to start. Sure, yeah. So, um, our son, Dan, um, we had two boys, Jacob and Daniel. Jacob's a couple of years older than Dan. Um, and Dan was just the very last person really that anyone would think would come to harm from drugs Um, he just in those stereotypes that we of of our kind of generation still have really about um, the the sort of people that might tick boxes on a at-risk list Dan wouldn't have been on anybody's radar he was bright and endlessly chatty, really popular, everybody loved Dan. He just got a way of making friends with everybody, even though he could be incredibly annoying. (laughs) He was annoying in the most endearing kind of way. Mm -hmm. Teased people endlessly about exactly the same thing. Um, He was prom king at the end of year 11, which is basically a popularity test. Everyone was their favourite boy and girl. He'd got a lovely girlfriend, Jenna, he'd been going out with for more than two years when he died. Um, He'd gone into sixth form, so he'd stayed on at the same school that he'd been at since um, he'd been in year seven, at just a little church school where we live in Croydon in South London. Um, and he was doing really well. It's really loving being in sixth form. Once you got over that whole kind of, oh my goodness, mum, I don't know what they want from me. That big transition mm-hmm. from GCSEs to A-levels. Um, he'd been in the school production just before Christmas. They were doing the whiz, he was in the band. He'd signed up as a bone marrow donor. He was, um, we had the best ever parents evening the first one in his entire life that was undiluted praise in November (laughs) of year 12 Um, so he was in a really he was in a really good place Dan and and a lovely lovely person with a big big heart Um, it it was January 2014 and he they'd been back at school I think a week or so 17th of January he asked if it was okay to go to a party there'd been a party on a Saturday night they'd been really looking forward to normally if there was a party it would be around someone's house it would be um, just very local you know we'd live in Croydon schools in Croydon most of his friends live in Croydon it would just be at someone's house and I'd pick him up or his friend's dad would pick him up afterwards and their parents would be there you know it's that sort of thing Mm -hmm. and so that was on the Saturday and he'd been looking forward to George's party and then he came in on the Friday and said, oh yeah, mum, there's another party, it's right if I go. So I asked all those usual kind of mum questions, and where's it going to be and who's going to be there and when's it going to finish and there were things about it that were unusual. So it was going to be in Clapham, which isn't a million miles, I'm sorry for South London geography, but no, it's, it's not, not a million miles away. from Croydon, it's one stop on the train and we live very near the station, but he hadn't been to a party in Clapham before. 
Um, it was going to finish really late. Um, but there was this whole story around this party. It was a friend of a friend, and um, this friend had got up. There were going to be 15 of them travelling. We checked there were going to be trains and buses coming back that time in the morning. We checked he got money on his zip card, his travel card, um, so he'd get the train okay. And But I just had a bad feeling about it, but not quite bad enough. It's It's really... It seems like a. I cannot let myself off the hook. I have to say, I I can let everybody else in this thing off the hook, but apart from myself, and maybe one day I will. And so I'm really, honestly, not making excuses for myself. But it is very hard being a parent, especially as you're. Well, it's hard being a parent, full stop, and getting it right all the time. And you can't get it right all the time, but especially as they get older and you have to flex those boundaries because you want them to have adventures and you want them to try new things and have new experiences and you don't want them to miss out on stuff that other people are having fun doing but you also need to know that they're safe and you know that they can't always make those judgments for themselves so you have to make them for them Um, and this was a hard call so it was a new thing was it going to be okay or not I just didn't, I was just obviously going, because Dan went, come on, mum, you know, I hardly ever go to parties, which was true, there weren't loads mm-hmm. of parties, um, and he said, and you know I'm sensible and responsible, which he really was. So he'd never given you any cause for concern up to that point, really? No, no, not at all. I mean, he was he was a mischief, and he was he would love to outrage people, and he was... He was always up for an adventure and always curious and enjoyed new experiences. You know, those were the things that might mark him out as someone that might be a risk, really, just someone who's got an adventurous spirit and a a really curious mind. He was always the one that was in a puddle or halfway up a tree or or putting snails in his mouth in the garden just to experience what it was like to have a snail in your mouth. (laughs) I've no idea really what the thought processes were there. But, but but, But he wasn't... But he was really... He was he was a a good lad. He he'd got a good heart and and he was sensible. But this wasn't, <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah. So however sensible you are and however bright you are and however much you like I said, I don't know if I said, but he, he just chatted endlessly about everything, Dan. So we had conversations about everything under the sun. He always wanted to know what you thought about stuff. Fascinated by every documentary on Channel 5 and Channel 4 and everywhere mm-hmm. else. So so lots and lots of conversations. Um, about everything, including about drugs, including specifically about ecstasy. But I hadn't realised until that night quite how close this was to our door. We knew stuff was out there. Um, Tim, my husband and I, even done, we'd done a six-week course for parents about young people and drugs. Um, we just didn't think that we were were ignorant, but I just didn't realise na- then what I know now. Um, it turned out that this wasn't a party, it was an illegal rave, it, was, it wasn't it was in Clapham, it was right the other side of London to us in Hillingdon, I didn't even know where that was, but it, it's way, way, way away from us, and it was a bunch of boys mostly from another school, so it was a boy who joined the school for sixth form, and they were friends of his, mostly from the school that he'd been at before, and they'd got this plan to go to this rave, and there was a plan that some of them were going to take MDMA, which I had then never heard of. I'd heard of ecstasy, um, but I hadn't heard of MDMA. Of course, I now know that's the chemical that's in mm-hmm. ecstasy. Um, and Dan, unfortunately, had said that he would be in. So they pulled their money. One of the boys went, um, had called, had a dealer, um, 
he'd been taking drugs regularly for at least a year before. And they were all year 11, year 12 boys. They were all kind of 15, 16, maybe going on 17. And um, anyway, they pulled their money. He went off, had arranged a drop-off, went off with a couple of his mates, picked it up, brought it back, shared it up. So five little bags of white powder. Um, I've got the, pretty much all the story then from Dan's friend Jack, who was there, um, who didn't take anything. Um, but he's my only source of information, really, apart from what we heard in the trial. And apparently they all dissolved it in the water. There were five of them taking MDMA, and Jack said they all dissolved it in water. And he said they then, the other four boys then sipped theirs all the way across London. And it takes, from us to Hillingdon, the, especially the bit where the, the rave was, takes a good couple of hours on public transport. It's just a long way, and you have to get a whole bunch of trains across London. But these illegal raves, which I also didn't know about, I have to say, where they just break into some empty building and then they set it up as a one-night party. I mean, they, the, the organisers don't release the final venue till really late because they don't want the police to know because they'll close it down before it gets going. Which I guess would tie in with that teenage novelty and excitement. It must have been right. such an adventure. Yeah. And I honestly, I don't know whether they realised, I mean, I'm sure they must have realised it was a bit dodgy, but they were advertising Radio 1 DJs and, and I think that the whole thing had a sort of legitimacy about it. There was a Facebook page going on yeah. now it would that makes it seem so old because yeah. facebook is so old <laughs> now old it was only five years ago yeah. um but yes still it, it it was it i don't think they realized quite how mad it was and for a bunch of boys you know you go to a station you wait for another message go to another station wait for another message and 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 you end up somewhere you've got absolutely no idea where you are on an industrial estate in the middle of nowhere under the m4 motorway with a whole bunch of other teenagers turning up on mass and this music pouring out um, but Jack said all the way there with all this faffing around it must have taken them three or four hours Dan left at eight and they didn't they released the final venue till 12 wow. so all the way there the other four boys were sipping their MDMA and, uh, and Jack said he could see that Dan was watching them he was holding his back um, and he could see that he was being a bit kind of hesitant and a bit wary. And Jack, I'm sure nobody else would have noticed, Dan would have been mucking about and doing all sorts of silly damn nonsense. But Jack knew Dan really well and he said he kind of wanted to say, look Dan, if you don't want to take it, you don't have to take it. But he thought as soon as I say that, it's going to make it harder to kind of sneak it away um, and, and just draw attention to the fact that everyone else has had it and Dan hasn't. And the others were fine. And ecstasy is called ecstasy because it can make you feel ecstatically happy and like you love everyone and the colours are amazing and your skin feels amazing and, and it's a stimulant so you have all this buzz and energy. And So when they got there, Dan had his and um, he was fine for a couple of hours. Um, and then Jack said he realised he hadn't seen him for a while and he started to get a bit worried and went off to try and find him and in the end he said eventually he kind of gave up and went outside the building and there was this thing on the floor with all these people standing around it in the rain and that was Dan mm. um, and he'd collapsed someone had seen him looking a bit weird and taken him outside and um, and called it called an ambulance and they rushed him off to hospital um, what had happened was um, Basically, one of the fundamental risks of illegal drugs is you have just got this unknown quantity. You've got a bunch of criminals that have put this stuff together and it's gone through this very messy criminal process and what you end up with in a bag, 
in Dan's case, turned out to be 12 times stronger than had killed people in the past. But how can you possibly tell? A bunch of teenagers looking at a little bag of white crystal. Mm. How can you possibly tell? So one of the things that MDMA does is, is it stops a bit of your brain working properly that helps you naturally regulate your body temperature. Mm. So one of the big risks from ecstasy and MDMA is that your body temperature can spike very high very quickly. Mm. Plus... It's a stimulant, so you can dance a lot harder, faster, longer than you'd naturally be able to do without your body saying, hold on, I just need to to cool down and take a break. Mm -hmm. Plus, if you're in an environment where other people are doing that, that's a really hot space. Mm -hmm. And and Dan's body temperature had gone up to about 42. And when it gets that high, everything just really just stops working. So while that was all going on, we were back in Croydon. Dan wasn't back. I was in a panic. I couldn't get through on his phone. Um... I, 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 was, I was trying to tell myself all these reasonable explanations. I tried his phone, he wasn't picking up. I tried again, I'd left a message. Um, half an hour later, I'd, I was, it was, he wasn't, he, he, it was really, really late, but it wasn't so late that I could start phoning the police or anything. Mm-hmm. I didn't have any of his friends' numbers. Um, and in fact, he wasn't with the people that he'd said he was going to be with anyway. Um, and I kept, I just, I'm sure his phone's just run out of charge, maybe the party's gone on, and there was nothing I could do. And I'd given myself to, I had got one of his friend's mum's numbers, because we'd been running together, so I'd kind of got this plan, because I like to have a plan, that once it got to eight, which is ridiculously late, if he still wasn't back, but I was sure he would be, I didn't feel I could really phone earlier than that, because that was just, you know, mm. um, that I would phone his friend's mum and just say, was, was her son back? Anyway, soon after that, um, there was I heard a car pull up and I heard the outside door go and I thought, oh, thank goodness that's down. He must have got a lift. Ran down the stairs and it's this policeman saying, are you the parents of Daniel Spargo Mabs? Which is just the beginning of every parent's worst nightmare, isn't it? Honestly, I don't know if I'm weird in this, but I'd imagined that so many times. You know, mm. a child's a bit late home from yeah. something and you think you'll have the police knocking at the door, but you just don't ever, ever actually think that this will be something that will be part of your story. Um, and he was saying all this stuff that didn't make any sense about ecstasy and a rave and Hillingdon. And um, anyway, we had to get J- Jacob, our oldest son, who's supposed to be going back to university that weekend for his second term. So we got Jacob out of bed. We had to Google the hospital, find the postcode dig the sat nav out um it seems to take forever to get out of the house you know there's nightmares where you feel you just can't move and you can you know something you just um tim and my husband thankfully got this really sensible head on while i was in a panic and just um, just got across london as quickly as we could um and when we finally finally got to see the consultant he just said that dan's organs were shutting down and that was the point at which I knew obviously I knew this was serious you know the police had knocked at my door my son's in intensive care this is serious stuff but it wasn't until that that was the point at which I thought oh my goodness this could actually be it um yeah and it I mean it wasn't they they worked it wasn't it just then they worked incredibly hard we couldn't get to see Dan for very long we saw him for a little bit um but they had to rush him off to do this emergency surgery. There was so many, when things stopped working, I mean, every single organ was, was, was failing and then failed, and so many things go wrong that you don't even know are going right the rest of the time. Mm. He'd got this thing called compartment syndrome that I'd never even heard of. There was this swelling on his legs, and if they hadn't been able to release that, they'd have had to have amputated his legs. Mm, um, anyway, they managed, It was they did that, and um, they had to move him to another hospital where they got a specialist unit at, at King's. I didn't know if he'd make the journey. Um, he did, thankfully. And 
we just spent a couple of days with him while he was on life support, um, deeply, deeply unconscious. Mm. And watching him die, really, watching him die. We kept hoping he was fighting for his life. And I just talked to him for the whole time. I just thought, he just needs to hear my voice. You know, you hear sometimes when someone's been really, really unconscious, mm -hmm. then they come round, they've heard yeah. someone's voice. So. They say that's the last thing to go, don't they? Yes, yeah. yes, and I hope it's true. Yeah. Mind you, there's a load of whispering on from me that he had to listen to for two days. Um, but lots and lots of, come on, Dan, you're doing so well. We love you so much. You can do this, you can fight this. and. But he was, he was just too poorly, and, and by the time it got to the Monday morning, so he got to the hospital at early hours of Saturday, by the Monday morning basically just too much of him had died already and the consultant said they'd got no choice but to switch everything off. Mm. And so we lost our Dan and we were left with just this passionate, passionate commitment to make sure we did all we could to stop any harm happening to anybody else's child because it's so avoidable i mean that's the good news in my t sad story so i'm sorry to share such a sad story with you but but the good news is that, that it's it's avoidable because there's always a choice involved um, but in order to make that choice you need to know enough stuff and understand also enough stuff about what's going on when you're making those decisions. So it's about information, but also those life skills and resilience. And one of the many things, as I said before, that we realized was that, that this stuff is much closer to our door. And if it's close to our door, then we thought, you know, ours is just a very ordinary kind of door. Mm -hmm. it's, it, this, it's close to other people's doors as well. And, and in, my, in my enormous list of things that I've learned over the last five and a bit years, um, is actually, you know, it's, it, it is, it is something that is there for all our young people. Yep. There aren't, there isn't anybody that's not likely to come across something um, and have need to be as well resourced as they can to navigate those decision-making situations safely. And parents play... We, you know, when we first started talking, wasn't it, the idea that actually the way you approach the education and the way that we approach it is the same. You have to educate them so Absolutely. they can make choices rather than just decisions in the heat of a moment. Absolutely, yeah. And and being prepared and knowing what's coming and, and, and being resourced before you get into that situation. Yeah. Because in that situation in that moment that's going to be the hardest time probably to make a sensible decision because it's going to be a social situation it can be a, um, a, a, often a, a, an environment where you can feel all sorts of different pressures and dynamics at work um, and each situation where you're making a decision is unique because there's a different uh, social environment that you're in you'll be in a different place in yourself in your head in your heart physically it's it's it, you need to yeah it's those each decision-making situation is unique and every situation where a decision is made belongs to that child to, to that young person so and parents play an absolutely vital role in in equipping their children and there's so much they can do I think it's very easy to feel disempowered as a parent especially around drugs because it's all so different and and mm -hmm. I didn't come across that I was never off of drugs when I was mm -hmm. I didn't you know stuff was around but it wasn't it's such a different environment and teenagers don't listen to their parents anyway well, and well, all this stuff yeah, that you get yeah, but, but which is just of, such a myth yes it um, is I mean I was looking there was I was reading something the other day um and um it was all it was a report from the National 
National Centre on Substance um, and Addiction Abuse at Columbia University. Okay. And one of the things they were saying there that was that, and, and it's something that I've heard regularly actually, teens who have uh, frequent family meals yes. are less likely to use drugs than those that don't. And I mean, I think they were saying, you know, infrequent family dinners is less than three a week. Um, and if on that, they're almost four times more likely to use tobacco, more than twice as likely to use alcohol and marijuana, and less, well, it goes into the academic performance as well, which is not yes. what we're interested in. But is, is that something that you've heard and come across? Yes, absolutely. And it's part of a bigger package of kind of those family relationships and family dynamics but making space for those conversations is so important and just having um, certainly in terms of having conversations with your children about drugs that being a comfortable conversation in your family is so important mm-hmm. so that it's not a big deal and it's not something that's going to get a defensive response and it's not something that you feel because it's it's it can be as um as awkward and, un- and uncomfortable for, for teenagers to broach some subjects with their parents as parents feel themselves. It's easy to yeah. forget that as a parent. Yeah. And, and if the, the more those conversations are out there, your teenager is never going to tell you everything, however open they are. And you hear people say, my child tells me everything. No. And you think, honestly, they would be very weird if they, if they did. Yeah. Um, but you would just hope that there would be, that that's an, an open conversation where you're listening as well as sharing your expertise and experience yeah. and and um ha- yeah just th- that being an ongoing conversation about all those important things and i know that they you know often with teenagers say oh mom you know i get all the drugs education yeah. at school and i was sort of saying look you know from my perspective I, as a parent, have a have a duty of care to make sure you know this stuff. And if I yeah. don't know, you know it. Imagine if something like you had that did does go wrong, and then you're left with the absolutely wondering if you could have made a difference. So, yes. from from your perspective, starting those conversations for parents, what, what do you think they need to cover? And what they need, well, it's. It's really important that young people... I mean, one thing is don't assume... That if they might say, oh, yeah, we do all that at school, don't assume that they have no. or that what they've had at school has been adequate and sufficient because schools... One of the reasons we started the charity was because we realised that schools really struggle to access good resources mm-hmm. to, to, to enable them to teach good evidence-based drug education to the to their students yeah that's something um, i've definitely come across a pshet teachers saying we don't have we yes. don't feel like we have the right resources so i think that's no. important for parents to remember it might you know yeah they might have touched on it but it doesn't mean it's quality does it absolutely and they might pick stuff up online but again that's not necessarily a reliable source of so there's all sorts of dubious stuff yeah. online as we all know <laughs> um so but I think for parents as well, you can start with what you do know. So you do understand the risks of medicines, for mm-hmm. example, um, which are just the same as the risks of drugs. So side effects, things have welcome and unwelcome effects. Your paracetamol might make your headache feel better, but if you have too much of it, you can make your liver um, be more vulnerable to damage. Mm-hmm. Um, everything, Something might make you f- stop you feeling anxious but might make you feel really sleepy you know so everything has up welcome and like you can overdose on anything you can't have some drugs with uh, with alcohol for example you can't have some things 
times uh, with other medication if you've got aged parents like I have don't I don't I hope my aged parents aren't listening to this <laughs> who have complicated meds and you realize how complicated medicines are and also how how the risks are managed very carefully yes. it's not that they're risk-free but those risks are managed you know exactly what you're getting with medicines you know where they've been made how much is in what they you've got a whole massive leaflet of about what those risks are and what to do if you see any of them the more risky they are the harder it is to get hold of them so you can only get them through the doctor or through the hospital if they're because i know risky. the one that keeps popping into mind as you're talking is the xanax so the xanax yes. really seem to be quite popular certainly amongst university students well also mid-teens i mean any yeah teenagers it's xanax is something that's appeared really just in yeah. the last couple of years. And Xanax is a, it's a benzodiazepine. It is. I mean, it's a, and it's it's not it's for anxiety, but it's not actually one that most doctors really want to to give prescriptions for because it's highly addictive because it, because you can't mix it with anything else and be, and it's easy to overdose on. Absolutely. So and it's not yes, yeah, so you can't get it on prescription on the NHS in mm-hmm. the UK. It's prescribed um, in the US and and across Europe and other countries, but it's it's not something. So so if if young people are getting hold of Xanax in the UK, it will be made in the pill press, and yeah. it will have goodness knows what's in it, which is one of the fundamental things with illegal drugs. Mm-hmm. Um, but for young people, they'll often see that as they think of it as meds or yep. prescription medication or something that therefore makes it safe. And I've also heard of them sharing. So I've heard, you know, oh, my friend was on antidepressants and I felt a bit depressed, so he gave oh, yeah. me some of his antidepressants. Yeah, yeah, which is illegal. Yeah. Well, <laughs> A, it's illegal, but also... And it's really, really risky. Yeah. Yeah, but if something's prescribed for you, you, it's because you've got that need for it and, and someone's yeah. checking So what it. you're saying is the conversation starts with the prescription drugs. Yes, I think so. And I think also just for parents to feel confident that they... It's not that they don't know stuff because they've never heard of Xanax and they don't know what those little silver canisters are. Don't feel that you don't know stuff because actually you know a lot about the risks of mm-hmm. drugs. Mm-hmm. And you understand most parents... Uh, not all parents drink alcohol I know but most parents do or know people who do and so you understand the risks of alcohol and those those risks and effects and how those are managed are are kind of quite generic to all drugs and then the fundamental thing that comes in with illegal drugs is that you've got something that's an unknown quantity you've got something that may or may not be ketamine or may or may not be may have other things mixed in with it they may be benign they may not be Mm -hmm. you don't know what the strength is of what you've got so for parents to start with what they know Mm -hmm. um, but also to, to ask questions that's really really important and to listen because the world the world for young people in terms of drugs is changing rapidly. So even in the five years that I've been doing this, something like ketamine has gained huge popularity. Yeah. It, was, it, was, it was around, it's never kind of really not been something that's been, well, it's come in and out, but really that's something that is now up there with MDMA for, for many young people. Xanax wasn't even heard of five mm-hmm. years. I mean, it was in America, but it wasn't that something that young people were using recreationally or for self-medicating, even which is another thing. Years ago. Yeah. Self-medicating. Oh, yes. The um, chemical kosh. Yes. I mean, in terms of having the parents, uh, having conversations, if you, if it's not too late, start those early. Mm-hmm. You know, 10, 11 is a good age to start up a primary. And you can, even younger, sort of how managing, managing risk generally will be something that's really it's t- useful to talk about. But managing the risks of substances. Mm-hmm. And for the, for the younger ones, for the 11-year-olds, in terms of the, the data, 
the, the, the most recent government data, which is from 2016, so it, it, and that had gone up quite significantly from the previous, this is the, the school survey that the government commissions every couple of years. The most recent data will be out later in 2019, but um, 16% of 11 year olds had been offered illegal drugs, that's not alcohol or cigarettes, 16%, 16% and 6% yeah. had tried them. 55% of 15 year olds had been offered illegal drugs. And 37% have tried them. Mm-hmm. That's national data, mm-hmm. so it's different in different areas. But don't think it's worth than, worse than the big cities because the rural areas are, are some, some of the most, some of the highest in terms of drug use. The southwest and the northeast of England seem to be, in terms of young people's drug use, seem to be the highest. And within the cities, don't assume it's the deprived areas and the biggest states that have the problems. Mm-hmm. In Certainly in London, Richmond came out as the borough that had got the highest level of drug use. That's one of the most affluent boroughs the Royal in borough London. Richmond, isn't it? Pardon? Royal, Royal borough, borough, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, so it's it, it really is a universal issue. And... and and your children will be around stuff, so they do. So ask them, what is it that's there? What what are what are people talking about? You mentioned the little silver canisters, which is the NOS nitrous oxide, yes. as being, I think, probably one of the ones they come off uh, come across earliest, perhaps. Yeah, but what, it, what's your what have you found in terms of what they are accessing? So we've talked about the um, MDMA, ecstasy, ketamine. So for in terms of what and when the for the for the younger ones for the 11 year olds it's that the most widely misused substance is the volatile substances is the gases glues and stuff that might be around the house Mm -hmm. so one thing for parents is um, however sensible and responsible your own child is they might have friends around who aren't so sensible and responsible so do make sure that anything that says only use in a well-ventilated space just make sure you've got it shut away Mm -hmm. because that's why it's the kids it's just that and it's that curiosity which actually is the biggest motivating factor at any age for first trying Mm -hmm. something um but in terms of the stuff that's around and about i mean alcohol obviously is the biggest biggest thing and socially culturally it's the acceptable choice so it's very easy to get the messages wrong around it absolutely and very difficult for parents i think to navigate and that's another whole area of focus um in terms of um and cigarettes and vaping mm-hmm. which is um kind of in in we, we send out a survey to schools before we go into schools to to speak it's but from year 11 plus when it really is very much kind of present thing just to give us a heads up so we know what's relevant so that we're making best use of the time that we've, we've got with them and it's just based on perceptions of what's around and about in your year group what are the issues what are the priorities what would you find useful what have you covered already and one of the questions is what are the main issues that are around for young people in your year group and and the overall survey data it's slightly different profiles for different schools mm-hmm. um, and then within the schools obviously the different profiles for different friendship groups but alcohol is always top mm-hmm. then cigarettes and cannabis are pretty much vie for second place mm-hmm. um, and vaping and then nitrous oxide so and that is coming out nationally as the second most widely mis- misused rec- mm-hmm. used recreationally in terms of the stuff that you that is sold illegally um, and then it's ketamine mdma pretty much on a par um and then cocaine which is no longer a rich kids drug it's no it's not cheaper and purer than it's been ever um and we also have to remember that actually by the time you get to the the clubbing stage all of those are cheaper than buying alcohol in yes, a club 
Yeah. And in terms of for, for many young people, in terms of the downside, you don't get the you don't get the throwing up down the toilet, you don't get the going having the terrible hangover the next day, although of course there are after effects of all drugs. And but for for the perception mm-hmm. in terms of the the plus versus the minus Alcohol comes out a lot on the minus, whereas a lot of drugs are seen as much cleaner, much safer. If you time it right, you can get it out of your system before your parents even know. Mm-hmm. Whereas alcohol, you go home completely wasted. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody knows about it. So, and, and absolutely, as you say, much cheaper. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And so easily accessible because yes. of social media, because that, you know, that's how you find your dealers these days, isn't it? Absolutely, and you can't avoid that either as no. a young person. That will pop up on your Instagram, Snapchat feed whether within your wider friendship group or just somebody random that's got in there somehow. Um, in terms of the stuff that's around then, we've got cocaine, then it's Xanax, mm-hmm. um, LSD, mm-hmm. magic mushrooms is kind of still there, um, not so big, but, but for some young people, the hallucinogens are, are a thing. Mm-hmm. Steroids for some young men who want to kind of bulk up their muscles yeah. quickly. Yeah. Um, and then some other bits and pieces. Lean is something that young people, if they're not around, would be aware of. It's a little bit more niche still, but through music, so particularly through uh, rap um, and some hip hop, but in music videos, lean and Xanax. That's really what's brought Xanax to Can you popularity. Say what lean is? Oh, okay. So lean is codeine and Sprite, and they put sweets in it to make it. Generally, it's purple. So they might call it purple drank or purple. Um, and it's just it's a sedative. It's codeine, so mm. it knocks you out. And it, it's more of a has been, it's come from the States really, where it's been easier to get codeine over the counter in pure form. In the UK, over the counter, it's muddled up with all sorts of other things, and you don't get enough of it in pills really to do anything with it. But you can get anything mm. from an illegal source. And I think that's one of the things that when I'm talking to them, they definitely don't appreciate is how different one pill can be from the next one. Mm. Even one half of a pill can be from the other half of Absolutely. a pill because they're not they're not mixed up in laboratory no. conditions. There's somebody sloshing stuff around in their bedroom, putting it through the pill press and, and out pops something with a nice little McDonald's on the front of it and Yeah. You know, you think because it looks like a, a, a professionally made pill that it that it will be what it says on the packet. Yes, but but absolutely, as you say, the whole thing is it's so careless mm. um, and all done to make money. It's not done with concern about the welfare of the user or the experience of the user to be honest Mm. I mean obviously for regular dealers there's a certain amount of customer loyalty they want to gain Um, some have even got loyalty cards going Um, but nevertheless they don't know what they've got however much Mm. they might be trying to manage their customer base and, and 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 be good business people they don't know what they've got and I think also saying to kids you know yeah your dealer probably does feel like a good friend until the day you don't yeah. pay him or yeah. you know and then absolutely it changes. you know these guys are in there to make money they don't give a shit about you or your life or no. your health that's just not what they're there for but it's also in their interest to appear to be your friend yeah yeah um, they're businessmen yes exactly yeah yeah So once again, I find myself with somebody and having a conversation that really does warrant being heard in full. So um, we're going to stop here. So in the second half of this podcast, we're going to have a look at harm reduction and what we as parents and educators can do to minimise the risk of 
drugs with young people. So I'll see you back here for the next half soon. Bye.